My name is Danilo Ferreira, and actually my work seeks to understand, you know, the dynamics that control the pre-salt reservoir's behavior using advanced reservoir characterization techniques such as machine learning and 4D sedimentary modeling, you know, all of this to try to improve actually the creation of facies and reservoir property models for those reservoirs. Hello, my name is Andrew Gary, and welcome to Seismic Sound Off In-Depth Conversations in Applied Geophysics. In this episode, Danil Fahera and I discuss modern geostatistic methodologies from the December 2021 special section on Latin America and the leading edge. Danil shares how to avoid two common pitfalls in geostatistical modeling, why models are always wrong, but you should still use them, and highlights a few innovations in seismic-based geophysical solutions. This conversation will help geophysicists working in Latin America, those using modern modeling techniques, and those looking to connect modern research to their work, no matter the location. Visit seg.org podcast to read Daniil's article and the rest of this special section. And stay through the end of this episode to learn how in under five seconds, you can show your appreciation for this free resource. And now my conversation with Daniil Fajera. Well, we are going to look in depth at that article there. And in general, December's special section in the leading edge is focusing on Latin America. What are the the, ta- the main types of geographies that geophysicists work with and find in Latin America? Well, we certainly have a lot of different geographies in Latin America, <laughs> to be truthful to you. Uh, but as we can actually see in the, in the special edition, the, you can expect works, you know, on siliciclastic and carbonate rock environments, you know, evaporites, igneous and metamorphic rocks, you know, really, really a huge, you know, diversity of geological environments for geophysicists to be working with in Latin America. <laughs> Our continent is, is, you know, big and full of surprises different environments for sure. Well, that's why people will find uh, use of this special section because it, it does cover such a wide range of geographies. There's, there's bound to be something applicable to, to wherever a geophysicist is working. And you yourself, you serve as a lead author in a case study in the Buzias field, as you mentioned in Brazil. What was your objective with this study? Well, actually, the, the objectives of my study were mainly driven by the fact that, you know, nowadays the pre-salt reservoirs from Brazil are actually one of the most important ones from our continent, Latin America. Well, especially because some of them are actually considered world-class, you know, in reserves and production rates. Uh, however, they did were formed in a very singular polyenvironment, you know, during the breakup of the supercontinent Gondwana and more specifically during the rift and sag tectonic phases of the formation of the South Atlantic Ocean. And by saying that, actually, during those phases, a lacustrine sedimentary environment took place with very specific characteristics, you know, such as being high on alkalis and with the occurrence of hydrothermal vents, for example. And this actually very complex environment originated an assemblage of rocks that are also very complex. And also, we do not have like a lot of papers that actually establish a consensus on what are or at least actually were the geological dynamics for the origin of those rocks. This lack of papers actually have has been improving in the last few years, you know. But since it is actually a requirement, you know, for conventional geostatistic modeling workflows that the geomodeler has a good understanding 
about the conceptual geological settings that the person actually wants to model, you know, it's kind of difficult to do so for the pressed carbonate reservoirs, you know, due to these limitations regarding conceptual geological models and also the complexity expected for the rock assemblage. So I know I talked a lot <laughs> and I really apologize for this big explanation, but all this context, you know, of lack of knowledge about conceptual geology for crystal carbonates and the good understanding about the interaction of lithologies and how they actually control reservoir properties made me and the other authors of this paper actually wonder why not to use, you know, machine learning techniques to actually build, you know, a more uh, data-driven property model, you know, or property models for pressed carbonates, and more specifically in this article for the Boozus field. So our objective in this study was actually to take this machine learning approach, you know, for a data-driven construction of effective porosity and permeability modeling for the Bahavelia carbonate formations from Boozufield, you know, and we call this algorithm Ember. It was developed by Slumberger, and it is a very innovative technique that requires little parameterization from the geomodeler and builds property models based on the observation of trends from well data of the properties desired to model, you know, and he uses geostatistics to actually establish these trends. And also it couples these geostatistical trends with secondary variables that can be given by the by the geomodelers, such as seismic attributes and facious models, as we use it in our paper, you know, to do all of this process of 3D reservoir characterization in a more automatic way. Well, that's... Very hot topic right now. You know, how, how can we use data and machine learning to address some of these complex reservoirs that, that you're working with? I want to look a, a little bit at, at the pitfalls, maybe. You know, what premises when using some of this geostatistical modeling you're talking about, did you have to recall to avoid certain pitfalls? Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah. One of actually the most important premises, you know, for geostatistical modeling is, for example, the concept of garbage in, garbage out, you know, and this is also true for Amber algorithm, which was this algorithm that we used in this paper, you know. So, for example, one of the pitfalls that we had to avoid is not preconditioning the data, you know, the input data such as well logs for effective porosity and permeability and not conditioning, for example, the secondary variables to be used, you know. And by preconditioning the inputs from the algorithm, we actually avoid having the algorithm extrapolating spurious data, you know, or geological features that should not be there and property values that should not be there, you know. But this is actually a very interesting question because I, I do believe that it's important to highlight that the way that the Ember algorithm is built we actually don't have to worry about two of the most important pitfalls that we usually see in conventional geostatistical modeling methodologies. The first one would be the requirement for stationarity of the variable or the property to be modeled. You know, we do have to remove all of the trends that we see from the data before giving it to the algorithm to extrapolate in conventional geostatistical methods. And this is not the case for Ember because Ember is a non-stationary modeler, you know, so this is okay for it to have a trend in the data. And another pitfall that is very interesting that 
Ember algorithm overcomes is the fact that you don't have to give to the algorithm of secondary variables that actually need to have a high linear correlation with the property to be modeler, to be modeled, such as, uh, for example, you don't have to establish that acoustic impedance seismic attribute, which was one of the attributes that we use as secondary variable in our paper. With those, it's not a requirement for the algorithm to actually have a linear correlation with porosity and permeability. It actually has, you know, in the paper that, that we published it, but it's not a requirement. This is the case, for example, for the facies model that we use it as a secondary variable. So the algorithm knows how to handle it pretty well and to give how to give, you know, pretty robust results as an outcome, you know, of its modeling. Well, Ember sounds like a, a great algorithm that you found there. And, you know, I think one of the, the biggest questions people might have on their mind is did did Ember, this algorithm, have any predictive capacity? Yes. Actually, we, we, to prove that, we use a very common workflow to address it. You know, we actually use the blind test method, well methodology. So as such, what we did was we excluded the information or the, the input data from one of the wells that we had available, you know, the effective porosity and permeability logs are as per se. And we actually performed the, the simulation using Ember and got our results. And then we compared the results from the models at the well locations with the well logs that we had that's upscaled from this blind test well, you know. And we actually got pretty high linear correlation, you know, for both effective porosity and permeability models when compared to the information of the blind test well. It was above 70%, you know, which is a very, a very high value of correlation considering, you know, complex lithologies. So this is one fact that actually confirms, you know, that Ember methodology has predictability, you know, on its results. You know, what did your analysis help you see in the Baravela formation that might have been missed otherwise? Well, actually, good question. <laughs> you know, uh, it was actually very surprising to see that at the base of the Baravela formation, at the Buzus field, actually, there were some places with good reservoir characteristics. And I say that because we were not expecting it, because from the facies model that we use it as a secondary variable for modeling effective porosity and permeability, we saw at the base of the Baja Valley Formation a lot of rock types that we call laminites, you know, which have high quantities of finer sedimentation, you know, so non-reservoir rocks. But it seems that actually the facies model that we use it actually overestimated a little bit, you know, the presence of those rocks or, or the occurrence of those rocks at the base of the Vahavela formation. But the algorithm was robust enough to actually overcome this inconsistency, you know, because it actually has a way to locally estimate the weight that the secondary variables actually can have for the estimation of the properties to be modeled, you know. And it takes into account, actually, the, the correlation that those secondary variables actually have with the property to be modeled at, at that location. And because of that, we actually saw as an outcome from the, the AMBER simulation for effective porosity and permeability that 
there were some places in the base of the Bahavela formation, you know, that actually corroborated with the well information and where we saw high effective porosity and permeability values, you know. And we needed to actually consider that uh, the Bahavela formation, or at least the base of the Bahavela formation, can be also, you know, a pretty good reservoir, you know. Mm. You know, this, you know, is not just your paper in the special section on Latin America, and, and this special section in general is really highlighting innovation in seismic-based geophysical solutions. Is there an innovation that really intrigues you right now that maybe you read about uh, through the special section or maybe that you are exploring on your own? Yeah, yeah. No, no actually, th there's one uh, that I read in this special edition, and it was the paper related uh, to 4D seismic monitoring in the Tupi field, actually, which is also a pre-salt field. And, well, th this really intrigued me because if you take into account the concept that the pre-salt carbonates are actually very stiff rocks, you know, you wouldn't expect that 4D seismic monitoring is feasible you know, for these type of types of rocks, especially because you wouldn't see any changes in acoustic impedance, you know, from the baseline and the monitor seismic. But I saw that the authors actually used, you know, innovative workflows and technologies, you know, even related to the acquisition of the, the monitor seismic, you know, to make it possible, you know. So it was very surprising to me to see that this kind of methodology can actually be applied to, to the pre-salt carbonate. And it was good to see it because I do believe that this kind of work, you know, will take us to a place where it will improve production, you know, so and optimize, you know, the, the well placement of new wells to be drilled in pre-salt locations. So it, it was very good to see some this kind of paper being published, you know. What ideas for research or challenges to overcome do you hope publishing your work in The Leading Edge provides to the scientific and business community? Well, I actually do hope that uh, my my publication, not, not mine, but also from the other authors that co-author, you know, this paper with me, helps geomodelers to overcome the resistance, you know, to use machine learning methods for quantitative 3D reservoir modeling, you know. I do believe that sometimes, since it's a, they, they are pretty new, you know, methodologies, the ones related to machine learning, you know, for quantitative evaluation of reservoirs, people usually don't understand quite well or very clearly what's happening behind the algorithm, you know, and geomodelers avoid, you know, trusting the results. But as can be seen as an outcome from our papers, we use the same validation methods, you know, as the, as the ones are that, that are used for conventional, you know, geostatistical algorithms, such as using blind test wells or comparing, you know, the distribution output from the models with the distribution of the rock properties modeled from the well logs, you know. So uh, I really hope that using those validation, you know, methodologies, that we can prove that actually algorithms such as Zember, you know, that uses machine learning actually are able to provide us pretty consistent and reliable results, you know, for 3D reservoir characterization. Well, that that is a a great, great thing to lay out right there. And, and this kind of like builds off that response there. How do you see the techniques, case studies, and tools presented across these papers improving geophysical work in Latin America? 
Yeah, yeah. Well, actually, I from what I've read, you know, from this edition, we have several papers, isn't it? We have papers published in siliciclastic environments in the Gulf of Mexico. We have papers related to landslides, you know. We have papers that actually aim to improve seismic imaging by removing artifacts. So, and I do believe that, you know, those all those papers actually try to use seismic data, you know, and extract the most of it and actually improve it so we can extract the most information from it. So I really do believe that the tools presented can actually help other interpreters and, and geomodelers, you know, to try to see, well, the, this methodology maybe could work on my field of work, you know, my study area. So why not try to apply it? So hopefully people that read, you know, the papers from this edition will find some very interesting, you know, ways to actually improve, you know, their their works as well. Yeah, be able to to learn from others so you don't have to go through the same same process yourself to, to get the same results, get a little shortcut in a way. You know, lastly here, what principle teaching or point of view has helped you succeed in this field? Well, <laughs> actually, it was to understand that a model can always be improved, you know, and there is no right or wrong, you know, if you actually follow it, the methodology steps and did the parameterization of the algorithm uh, with the knowledge that you have right now, you know, and as good as you can do, you know, and that actually a model is only an attempt of the representation of subsurface. You know, it's never the actual geology. So it's always wrong at some extent, you know. However, this fact should not let you afraid, you know, to try to build one, you know, just do your best, you know. That is a, a great, humble and great advice to leave it there. I appreciate your contribution to the Leading Edge in December and for your continued work. And, and I hope you continue success. And, and thank you for joining us to share a bit about your work today. Okay, yeah, thank you. Thank you very much as well. And thank you for the invite. SCG produces Seismic Sound Off to benefit its members, the scientific community, and inform the public on the value of geophysics. To show your support for this show, please leave a five-star review on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Simply go to Seismic Sound Off on Apple Podcasts and Spotify on your phone. It takes less than five seconds to leave a five-star rating and is the number one action you can take to show your appreciation for this free resource. And follow the podcast while you are on the app to be notified when each new episode releases. Original music created by Zach Bridges. This episode was hosted, edited, and produced by me, Andrew Gary at 51 Features. The SEG podcast team is Jennifer Cobb, Kathy Gamble, and Ali McGinnis. Thank you for listening. This is Seismic Sound Off, signaling off.